0: It's so good to be back with you this morning. It's, it's just so good to be with God's people. Um, I've gotten to where I don't say that I'm just going to be preaching somewhere. It's that I get to be. Uh, it, is, it is such a privilege to open up God's word before his people. My prayer and my heart is not to please you, but to please my heavenly father and to do what he wants. And my prayer for you is that you wouldn't even please yourself, but that you would also please our heavenly Father he 's got an agenda this morning. Church isn 't just happening. God is doing church this morning and um, at the International Dateline, a worship started many hours ago, and and slowly, worship saints have been gathering to lift up their praise to the Lord, and it's wrapped around the earth like a blanket. And it's not done yet. And we're a part of that. And God wants to do something. God wants to do something significant. And, um, and so I, I want to pray also that God would just come and meet with us. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and bow your heads, because I also just sense that there are some needs I was just looking at your faces earlier. There's some needs here. And I want to start out this way with your eyes closed and your heads bowed. If you just have a need this morning that you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I just have a need. And I'd appreciate some prayer. I see your hand. Are there some others? Raise your hand. I see yours. I see yours. Quite a few all across the congregation this morning. Let's pray for these individuals and for ourselves as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, We come before you as your creation. You have crafted us. And Father, even if we've not raised our hand, you know us through and through and know what is going on inside us right now. You know us better than we know ourselves. And Father, we come because you are the creator and we are the creation. Seeking your help, your touch, your movement, your work in our lives in these areas of our need. And, Father, I don't know if these individuals need comfort, if they need provision, if they need healing. But I know in whom I have believed. Lord God, we know that you're able to bring all of these things where they're needed. And so we come and ask that you would tend to these individuals, granting them strength and endurance for these moments. And, Father, we ask that you would come with your mighty power and your great compassion your eternal wisdom. And you would work in their lives. And I pray Father that you work in a way that they can see. That it's you that it's work. It's not just something happening. Father encourage them. As we look at this passage this morning. How desperately we need to hear you and to hear your voice. Lord we don't need another sermon. We don't need just another lesson to add to our pile. Father, we need to be transformed. We need revival in our souls. We need you. And so we come and we pray that today. We ask with all of our heart that you work here in this place, as you've already worked this morning, as you've worked through worship, through the groups. Now work during this message and draw us to you and change us for your glory. We pray in the sweet and holy name of Jesus. Would you say that name with me? Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, take your Bible uh, and, um, and open it to Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. I've start, stop saying, if you will, or if you have your Bible with you. I certainly hope that you have your Bible with you today. If not, scoot over real close to somebody who does. And, um, and, and I hope you're not deciding if you want to open your Bible. Get with it. Get your Bible open. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. I'm going to read this passage. You'll find words similar to these in the translation that you have there. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. This is about Joseph and Mary, and the baby Jesus. This is one of those Christmas passages. It says this, Now, when they had gone, it's talking about the Magi. I'll mention that in a moment. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, and take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So, And Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. This morning I want to talk about what obedience is. There's a lot of things we could talk about about this passage, but, but that's where we want to go. The background of this is is Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Some wise men from the east, some magi, that term is used in Daniel. It's used to to refer to a sorcerer. Uh, They're they're people that uh, practiced eastern wisdom and religions. It's likely they probably came from the area of Babylon, not from China. And we have no idea if there were three of them. We don't know their names. Guys, that's all movies, okay? Uh, what we know is that God worked some way and he stirred up people from another land, people people who, who weren't followers of his, and he, he drew them to the Christ child and used them to help show who Jesus was. They came, they came bearing gifts, they came and honored. It actually says that they worshipped the child. They worshipped him. That's pretty amazing. And they had gone to King Herod first, and uh, trying to find out where he was, like he would know. I mean, if you ask him, where is the guy who's supposed to be the next king, Herod would say, dead. Because that's how he operated. And so they have been to Herod, and Herod got concerned because there was supposedly another king of the Jews out there. And uh, he pretty much eliminated people like that. So so they go, they worship Jesus, and, and they don't go back to Herod because they're warned not to. And they go on their way. Herod is incensed about this. And so Herod calls together. Uh, The wise men, the theologians of the day, the people who read the scrolls and asked them, so where is this child to be born? And they said, Bethlehem. And and he comes up with this plan to go and kill all the children two years or younger in Bethlehem. And so in comes this passage, God knows. You don't even know right now what's going to happen tomorrow. Neither did Joseph and Mary. But God knows. Don't you take comfort in that? God knows and he can handle it. God has a plan for anything that you're going to encounter. And so so these wise men have left and this plan is going on with Herod. And so God speaks to Joseph once again in a dream. God speaks to him and gives him instruction. And he obeys. Now this passage can be about lots of things. There's a lot of things we can learn. And, um, and just, so, just so you don't have, feel like you have to come up to me after the service and say, you know, I've heard somebody talk about this, about that passage too. Um, there's a lot of things. So let me just run through the list real quick, and then we'll get back to what we're talking about this morning. It, th- this passage could be talked about, about God using His foreknowledge to save and protect the Christ child, because it is about that. That would be 100% valid. The, the passage is about the trustworthiness of God's Word. How prophecy does come to pass and God does know what's going on. It is about that. That would be valid. It is about God speaking to human beings. Because that does happen. That's absolutely valid. And It is about God orchestrating His plans through human lives. That's so important. That's another sermon all in itself. It's also about the treachery that God's plans face in a sin-infested world. It is about that. God's plan is always at peril because sin always tries to undo it. And so that's all going on. And that would be valid to say about this passage. It's also about how God's will outlasts human treacheries, the thing they'll do, and their resistance to God's will. God's will outlasts those things, just like it outlasted Herod. That would be true and absolutely valid. This passage is also about the the effect of one person, one individual's obedience on the people around them. Every one of those would be a great sermon. But because we weren't supposed to be here until 7 p.m., I settled in on one thing. It's not that list. It's one other thing. Today's focus is that this is a picture of human obedience. It's about someone hearing what they're supposed to do and doing it. I want to repeat that. It's about someone hearing what they're supposed to do and then doing it. How many parents do we have in the room right now? Okay. Okay, since you said you're parents and not just married adults, that means you've had children or you have children, and you know that your desire, your desire either is or was that they would hear what they were supposed to do and that they would do it. How would that go for you? God has children too. And and he's speaking and he gives us some instructions. So this is about human human obedience. And so I want us to look today at what Joseph did. And so the takeaway, the takeaway is this. It's up here on the screen. If you're taking notes, write this down. If all you write down is this, write this down. I'll tell you where it came from. I wish it was... I wish it was original to me. Obedience is doing what God wants, when God wants, with the right heart attitude. Whatever you do, you mess up one of those three, and that is called disobedience. Don't disobedience, okay? And so I want you to hear, I want you to hear uh, wh- what's going on here in this passage. And so so where did this statement come from? I pastored in Big Spring, Texas. How many of you know where Big Spring, Texas is? Okay, almost got 10 that time, I think. It's at the bottom of the panhandle. Actually, it fell just out of the bottom of the panhandle, so it's just below the bottom of the panhandle. Highway 87 and I-20 cross right there. There's no significance to that. It used to be an Air Force-based town that has no effect on life now. You can say a lot of things about what things used to be. While we were there, uh, God was trying to do great things because God doesn't matter what the circumstances are or where it is. He's simply doing his thing and drawing his people into it. So while we were there, I invited a group called Life Action Ministries to come and do a 10-day revival. Ten days. A ten-day revival is where God's people meet together every day for ten days, not three, not three, ten. I opted for ten because it seemed more reasonable than their 14-day option. And, and so so we invited them and they came. And uh, there's lots of stories that, that come out of that. But, um, but the revivalist, Mark Bearden, Uh, Taught during that and and just just made a huge difference. I expected, with all of the ramp up to that set of revival meetings, I expected that God would work in my own life. I didn't know how. I didn't know what he was going to do. While I was sitting in one of those revival meetings, suddenly God spoke to my heart in a way I don't know that I can really explain except it was undeniable. God made very, very clear to me I'm done with you here. And he unplugged me from that church family. And I embarked upon the strangest Sundays that followed feeling like I was a stranger. Beginning that moment, I felt like I was a stranger in that place and like I didn't belong. God was done with me there. And he had another place to go. But God didn't tell me where that other place was. I just knew something was going to happen. Well, unbeknownst to me, during that same set of meetings at a different time, God also spoke to my wife a similar message. But she felt like she had an additional peace. And that was that God was going to do something with us before Christmas. This was the very end of September, the beginning of October. In the Baptist world, things don't move that fast. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. You're looking for a pastor. You know how this goes. And uh, I didn't even have a resume. Uh, There are some pastors who, as soon as they get somewhere, they're circulating resumes. Make sure that doesn't happen. Get somebody who wants to be here, who's 100% here every day that they're here until God calls them away. That's what you want. And and so so man, we were we were deep into it. We were in the midst of five year planning, looking forward and everything. I had no eye on the horizon, and suddenly this happens. And Susan believes something's gonna happen before Christmas, and with all the great faith that I have, I said, Yeah, right. Yeah. December nineteenth, we were in Aztec, New Mexico in view of a call to move there and become pastor at First Baptist Church in Aztec, a town I didn't even know existed in a state. I mean, I, I grew up in Texas. We don't know about any other states. A state that I knew nothing about, right? And, um, and we had lived in Florida, and so I'd driven back and forth from Florida, and so I knew, knew the southeast and in um, and, and the south and what I thought was west. Man, I was wrong. Uh, Texans, they don't know anything about the west. They have water. They have water. We have beach, but no water. And uh, but but anyway, so God starts this. And so the question is, uh, when you when you get instruction, what do you do? What do you do with it? And so Susan and I began uh, began trying to to make heads or tails of that. In the middle of feeling disconnected, I had a bunch of people, a bunch of people say, "You need to contact Claude Cone in New Mexico." Well, for me, ice cream cone, Claude Cone. I mean, who is Claude Cone? And and so finally, after a whole bunch of people said this, I contacted Claude Cone. And I was very careful about it. I wasn't just sending resumes out everywhere because I believed that I was still pastor where I was. And until that changed, I needed to protect my ability to be pastor at that church. And announcing that you're looking for another place to go really harms relationships. And uh, and so I was being very, very careful. And so I explained to Claude what was going on, what had happened, and uh, That I didn't have a resume out and I really just called him to say what advice would you give me and his advice was send me a resume. And uh, he had a church in mind right then and I sent him my resume and by that evening my resume was at First Baptist Church in Aztec. And guys God works in all kinds of different ways. First Baptist Church in Aztec had already been through a pastoral search. They'd had a guy come, his name was Randy, in view of a call. They'd voted unanimously to call him his pastor. He hadn't responded. Five weeks later, they contacted him and said, So are you coming? And he said, No. No. Devastated the church because they had done everything right. They'd even been through the intentional interim, profiled the new pastor, the whole nine yards, and they really thought Randy was as close as they could get. And we just started pursuing. And the first time that um, that Ted Russell from First Baptist Church in Aztec called, I thought he was a telemarketer, and I told told my secretary, "Tell him I don't want to talk. I'm not interested." And uh, I got an email from the guy next, and I thought, man, this guy is tenacious. But I opened that, and I'm like, oh, no, I shouldn't have dissed him like that. <laughs> and, uh, and he called me back the next day, and uh, I just can't imagine what they were thinking when I wouldn't talk to them after getting their the resume. I, I wouldn't talk to them. Uh, and they'd already been through what they'd been through. And um, Susan and I began to sense very quickly that this was the place God wanted us to go. And, uh, it's important, it's important that we, we recognize God's voice and that we do what He wants. And when we got there, uh, it was another unanimous vote, which I was told later, don't be deceived by that, it's tricky, that means the devil voted for you too. (laughs) And, um, and so, so anyway, things went really well, really quickly, and, um, And we were thankful for that. One of the guys on the search committee became a friend of mine and shared with me that they had a profile that they had been looking. They had been told, you put this profile together prayerfully with what you believed God wanted. Don't just get close. Wait until you find this man. Randy, after a long search, was as close as they thought they could come. They had been through hundreds of resumes. That didn't work. After finishing their pastor's search and failing, they they asked, what do we do next? And one church member said, let's pray. So they turned Sunday nights into a prayer meeting and they began to pray. And as they were sitting down trying to figure out what to do next as a search committee, that's when this one other resume showed up. Otherwise, they had the same set of resumes. You can, you can call the seminary and have them send you another set of resumes, and it's likely that quickly going to be the same set. And they got one new resume, and they began looking at it, and the reason they called right away. I didn't know this until after a while, but they looked at their profile, and he showed me the profile. And guys, it was eerie. It was like somebody had written down my life history before they ever met me. Everything on the profile. Check off, check off, check off, check off, check off. Listen, when it comes to obedience, it's not that God is trying to get somebody else to do something. Obedience is when God is doing something and He's inviting us to be part. Of what he's doing. Don't miss that. Obedience isn't God trying to get you to do something. Obedience is God doing something. And inviting you to be a part of it. And so in my mom's terms. I'm not the slickest thing since a peeled onion. Okay. I'm just not there. But God was at work because he had a church that he wanted to send me to. And he had to get me free. And he had to get them to where they were ready. And you know, when they started their search, God had not even spoken to me yet. Obedience is a huge issue. It matters. It matters so, so much. So look at what Joseph did. Look at what Joseph did here in this passage. Joseph heard God's instructions. The Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, and it gives the words here. And this time it wasn't just an angel in a dream, it was the Lord who appeared to Joseph in a dream. And he actually heard him. Speak and say these words. Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Guys, that's specific. That's actionable instruction. This book is chock full of actionable instructions. You don't need to go home this afternoon... And say, man, I've got to go take a nap because I want to know God's will. Don't do that. Don't do that. We're going to talk in a few minutes about how to hear God's voice and what you can do, the process of obedience. But there are a lot of ways through the Bible and in real life that God speaks to people. And I just want to walk through these because the question is valid. What does it take to know what God wants you to do? I encounter a lot of people who want to know that question, and I want to know that answer once they realize that God wants to give them instruction and direction for their life. Right now, God has something specific in mind for every single one of you, without exception, without exception. So first of all, God speaks through the Bible. If, if you're a, um, I just lost his name. Experiencing God. Henry Blackaby. If you're a Henry Blackaby devotee, you're going to recognize some pieces in here. But first of all, God speaks through the Bible His Word. That's the easiest way. All the other ways I'm fixing to list must line up with what God says in His Word. And so if you begin to experience some of the other things that I mentioned, but you are not saturated in God's Word, beware you are able to easily be deceived. And so that's why I start with the Bible. Then God speaks through his people. God speaks to his people through teaching and preaching. That's one of the ways that happens. But he also speaks to his people through wise counsel. We're supposed to counsel and help one another with life. God speaks to us through us, uh, through us to others that way. And God speaks through His people, using casual comments and reactions. There are people who are trying to figure out what God wants them to do, and you don't even know it sometimes, but they throw out little things and they're floating them in front of you, and they're watching just to see how you react, because they respect you. But they don't want to tell you they're struggling, because they don't know what God is saying to them. And so those, those casual comments and reactions are important. God also speaks to His people um, a, with prophetic declarations. And time after time, time after time, uh, people will say something, and it ends up coming true. Now, they're not a prophet in the Bible. I, I was just talking to uh, some folks back here on the back row, and... Um, and and telling the story, Um, Susan and I, in college, we joined Windsor Park Baptist Church on the same Sunday. We didn't know one another. She came from Tennessee. I came from Texas, whom Tennessee helped. That's what the Alamo is all about, is how Tennessee helped Texas. That's what she tells me. And um, anyway, she, she came... And she joined the church that Sunday, and I joined the church that sunday and there 's a story there we won 't get into but um, but there there are people who sit on the back row. you blessed people who sit on the back row. Um, uh, some amazing things can happen on the back row don't don 't let teenagers sit back there but but the back row can be an amazing place. And there were some ladies who sat right over here. We had a center aisle, and they sat right over here. We had glass, glass, a glass wall that opened in the foyer. and They were right in front of that glass, right back there. And, and Susan and I refer to them now as the back row prophets. Because once we became engaged to be married, they let us know that on the first day when we joined the church... They looked at us and said, they're going to make a beautiful couple. Guys, I had a long way to go before that. I had a long way to go before that. I had a lot of rough edges, right? Yeah, she's, she's just laughing. <laughs> yeah, she's in and other girlfriends. Um, but, um, but, but God can use us in the things we say that way. Uh, also, the Bible talks about our responsibilities to encourage one another and to admonish one another, which is a rarely practiced activity in the church that should be commonplace. Uh, but all of these things are the way God uses his people to speak. And then God also speaks through prayer and through the Holy Spirit. And I put those together because usually God speaks by the Spirit when people are praying. And I can't really explain this to you, except those of you who, I I see some heads nodding. Those of you who've experienced know what it is when suddenly God speaks to you that way. You'll recognize it. Um, but God speaks by His Holy Spirit in unique ways to people as they pray. Prayer is important. Prayer is actually a two-way conversation. God wants to talk to you. Conversational prayer is what prayer is all about. And God speaks through circumstances. Those are events and needs and situation. God speaks through those things. And, and, and then God speaks through uh, some things that we're not used to. He speaks through prophets. That happens all the time in the Bible. God speaks through visions and dreams. That makes Baptists real uncomfortable unless they're Baptist missionaries on the missionary field and they're thankful that God speaks through visions and dreams because our missionaries encounter people who welcome them because God spoke to them in a vision or a dream saying they were coming. Sometimes they even know what they're going to say. When they walk up. God still works that way. God speaks through angelic appearances. Once again, that makes Baptists uncomfortable. Unless you're a Baptist missionary in a third world country somewhere. Today, God is still speaking through angelic appearances. Angelic appearances open the doors sometimes for our missionaries to go into very unreached places. And then God speaks through direct audible communication. Now, I've not heard this happen recently, but, uh, but I read the Bible, and it's happened a lot in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God chooses sometimes to speak Himself to His children and to other people around them with His own audible voice. Woo! Man, I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. God does all of these things. Uh, God speaks, and so so Joseph heard God speaking. And the next thing in this passage, and I love this, Joseph did exactly, and I want to emphasize that word exactly. He does exactly what God instructs him to do. Look at the passage. Uh, here's how it goes: Get up, take the child and his mother, flee, and remain there. Get up, take, flee, and remain. Verse fourteen. Guys, I want you to know, when when I measure my own obedience against this little story, it's convicting. Look at verse 14. Here's what Joseph did. So, Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, while it was still night, left for Egypt. That's the flee part. And then he remained there until the death of Herod. That's exactly what God told him to do. Get up, take the child, flee, and remain. I'm sharing this with you this morning because I'm just reading through Matthew. And every passage I read, I believe God has something to say. And I was praying, I was looking, trying to figure out what it was. And then I realized what Joseph did. So really all I'm doing this morning is sharing my quiet time. And, and, and this is amazing. There are people in the Bible who are, who are amazing people who struggle with what God asked them to do. Some even say, oh, you want me to speak? Not me. I'm really not a good speaker. You must have somebody else in mind. Does that sound like Moses? And Joseph, in the middle of the night, he didn't even, he didn't even wake up and think, oh, it's too early. And go back to sleep until morning. As soon as he heard it, while it was still night, he did exactly exactly. What God had in mind. Is our obedience like that? Exact. And then I just said the the next thing that Joseph acted promptly. There's no delay or hesitation. He he doesn't disagree with what God says. He, He doesn't disagree with when God says it. Remember, obedience is doing what God says when God says it with the right heart attitude. And so that brings me to the last thing, um, about attitude, this attitude that happens here, the way he approaches this, this is not how Joseph started out. You remember Joseph, this is the guy when he first heard what God was doing, decided he would be gracious and put Mary away secretly, dispense with the problem. He wasn't just saying not my problem. He was saying not my child. And he's had this whole attitude shift to in the middle of the night, this man who didn't want to take on what it was going to mean socially to have a wife who was expectant outside of wedlock. A man who didn't want that now in the middle of the night will get up and take that woman and that child and leave their country and flee to a country where they are Strangers and immigrants. Guys, this is huge. He's had a, a major attitude change. And his attitude is it's, it's part of this whole picture. That change in who Joseph is and, and what he thinks and how he operates. That's part of this passage. That's why it leads up to it. And Joseph is, has changed. During that revival service, Mark Bearden, the revivalist, talked about obedience. And one of the reasons I knew that that I really needed to, to take action is because he said those words. Obedience is doing what God wants, when God wants, with the right heart attitude. And so a young man sitting there feeling unplugged because God has said, I am done with you here, knows that beginning tomorrow morning, beginning right now, I have to act. I have to begin to, to think differently. To live differently. What Mark Bearden said, obedience is doing what God says. What God says. When God wants. With the right heart attitude. I see that right here in Joseph. I see Joseph live that out, to live that out. You and I can live that way. And so what does this mean for you and I? If we're going to take this and not just have it be a story, and we're going to leave here and be transformed by God's word. If that's going to happen, what does this mean for us? What's going on? Well, there's, there's a process with obedience, Obviously, there's some kind of prophecy. You can't just obey before God speaks to you. And there's a process that's going on. And I want to walk with you through that because I want, to th- I want you to think about this process in your life. I think about it in my life. I want you to think about it in yours. First of all, I must saturate myself with God's Word. And Joseph was versed in all the ways of, of God. Guys, we have to saturate ourselves with God's Word. We don't have a culture today like the Jewish culture that ensures that you are saturated with God's Word. And so it's up to you to make sure that you're saturated. I have a a brother-in-law who used to call and say, Hey! My next words were, Who is this? And I finally told Norris, I said, here's here's what you need to do. You need to call and say, hey, this is Norris. Until I tell you it's okay, I got it. Because you see, early on, I didn't recognize his voice just like that. Until I'd heard his voice over and over and over and over, I began to recognize it. Then he could just say, hey. And I get it. We need to become that way with God. We need to be so versed in the Scripture, not so we can quote Scripture. And guys, we need to be so saturated with Scripture so that we will recognize God when He speaks. Because if we don't recognize it, we're not going to pay attention to it. And so if you want to be obedient to God, you have to saturate yourself with Scripture. I am certain of this. I am certain of this. Some of the least obedient people in churches are those who spend the least amount of time with God's Word. You need to spend a lot more time with God's Word than you spend with church activities. Okay, let me try that again, get those amens going. You need to spend a lot more time with God's Word than you do with church activities. Because that's where it's at. You see, when you get into a small group that's discussion-oriented, you probably experience how that can go awry. Unless unless people are saturated in God's Word, so those discussions don't don't take off and go directions they shouldn't go. Uh, you, You need to saturate yourself with God's Word so that you will recognize His voice. You need to be used to hearing Him, used to His ways. And, and so, so after you, you saturate yourself with God's Word, you need to make yourself available for God to speak to you. You have to do that, I have to do that. We have busy lives where we have lots of technology these days around us that's not making us less busy or less stressed or better managed. It's causing thumb surgeries. And so we need to carve out time. Spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines are all about carving out time in your life for God to be God. And we desperately need times in our life where we set aside for God. To be God. And some ancient spiritual disciplines took a long time. Because that's how long they felt it took for them to make themselves available to God. We have to do that. Before we can ever think about doing what God wants, we have to saturate ourselves with God's Word and we have to make ourselves available to Him. There are some people that God could speak to. If they heard, they don't have time for Him. Because their life is so busy and filled with so many things that they prioritize above Him. And we've got to change that. We are the church. It's not somebody else. It's us. We are His children. And and then, then I have to seek God's will. I have to seek it. I become saturated, so I recognize His voice. I make myself available to Him. But then I have to seek. There's there's a pursuit here. Um, Susan was saying, "Yeah, you know, I had to wait on the other girlfriends." Guys, I was a pursuer. <laughs> I mean, I, I just I don't know. It's like I didn't want to be alone or something. Um, and and when I would when I would get interested in some young lady, I would pursue her and 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 pursue her. It's good to be married. You don't have to keep changing people. <laughs> and 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 that pursuit, that pursuit needs to be focused upon God. We should want to spend time with God. We should pursue him because we love him so much that we want to get in his presence and experience him and hear him and and see him and be around him and, and just just soak in him and, and so we need to, to seek that and, and and just real quickly walking through that some things that you need to you need to be aware of you need to be constantly alert if you're going to seek him you need to be be watching you need to be constantly ready to respond at every moment you need to be always listening to hear always listening Right now, there are all kinds of radio stations broadcasting their signals and they're passing right through this room and they desperately want your attention so they can sell it to advertisers and make money off of you. Listen. You see, the reason we don't hear them is because we're not tuned in. We're not connected. We're not trying to listen. And I guarantee this, if you're not listening, you'll never hear. Just like the radio stations in this room. They've not caught your attention. None of their advertisements have swayed your opinion. Because you're not listening to them. And so so that's part of seeking God's will. And you're always looking for God's activity. Don't you want to see God at work? Let me try that again. Don't you want to see God at work? To see His hand move. To see things only God could do. To be a part of that. You have to look around for that. Uh, you know, Police lines are amazing. That, that tape. You know why they put that yellow tape up sometimes? Is because when, when people see something going on. And they can go stand around in cities where there's a lot of walking people. This is a big problem. People just want to get closer and closer and closer. And they'll actually press up against that police line tape. And push it as far as they can with not knocking over pylons and everything because, because they, they, they're they so looking for, for what's going on and, and wanting to be there, wanting to be part of it. Obedience is intentional action. It's not just going to happen to you. And so, so we have to do what God says and, and we have to, to follow this process. Let me give you some statements. A couple of them I already said and I, I just want to review them. I want us to think about them. When God gives instructions, He's not asking someone else to do something. He is doing something. He is doing something. Instructions are invitations to join God in what He is doing. Henry Blackaby didn't come up with that. He just popularized it. That's been in the Bible for a long time. Instructions may tell us to do something, this is so important, or to not do something. Paul wanted to go into Bithynia. He wanted to go preach the gospel there. Isn't that a laudable thing to want to do? But he said that the Spirit prevented them from going to Bithynia. And then he got a call to go to Macedonia. Listen, sometimes obedience means doing something, and sometimes obedience means not doing something. So for you this morning, you may be starting to process through some things that God has spoken to you, and there may be things you need to do, but for some of you, God may be speaking to you about things that you shouldn't do. Uh, let me let me give you a, a real practical illustration. So in my quiet time, I'm praying along and 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 I realize there's some things that I'm just facing temptations and and I'm struggling with it. And and I have a smartphone. I have apps. Not abs, apps. <laughs> I have apps. And um and I've got a Fox News app. I'm going to get my thumb surgery. And I realize that there's stuff that Fox News pumps out, you know, the conservative news organization that is trash. And no one needs to see. And as I'd be going through that app, I would just, I would just feel drawn to that. I don't know if you lost your flesh, but I never lost mine. My, my flesh still fights all the time, wants to be fed, wants to take over, wants to enjoy life. And I was facing temptations, and I'm praying along. I'm just figuring, you know, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Stop using the app. I don't, I don't know really how to say it more clearly, but I'm praying along. And during my quiet time, God impresses upon me. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I mean that didn't even take thought. But I hadn't thought of it. Stop using the app, and you know, an amazing thing happened when I, when I stopped doing something. That God was trying to get me to stop. That I'm not facing all those temptations, every day. Every day, multiple times a day. Isn't that subtle? Listen, God knows about you. He knows your life. He knows what's going on around you. He knows his big plan. And he's got a slot for you. He's got a slot for you and all that. There's some things you have to do. There's some things you have to stop doing. And, and that's all part of obedience. And so we need to make sure we don't, we don't miss that. Listen to Matthew 2, 13 through 15 one more time. With all that in your mind, I want you to just listen to this. So Joseph got... I'm sorry... Uh, 13, Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet Out of Egypt, I called my son. You can live that way. You can live life that way. Obedience is doing what God wants, when God wants, with the right heart attitude. So some questions for you this morning, some things for you to think through. Are you seeking God's will? Are you engaging in that process? Do you know what God wants you to do? What God wants you to stop doing? Are you doing that? Are you doing what he wants? or Are you avoiding what he wants you to, to avoid? Are you doing that right now, this minute? Are you doing that at work, at home? Are you doing it personally? Are you doing it spiritually? Are you putting God's will actually into practice? Obedience is doing what God wants, when God wants, with the right heart attitude. I've never forgotten that. So what that means is disagreement with God's plan isn't obedience. Delaying isn't obedience. Uh, Dissatisfaction with what God is saying isn't obedience. Listen again. Obedience is doing what God wants, when God wants, with the right heart attitude. So here's the invitation. I want you to take a step. I want you to take a step. In just a minute, I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward. And here's what I want you to do. If you're thinking about something and you're realizing there's a place of obedience where you need to take another step, you've stalled out, you've delayed, you've resisted, whatever it may be, or you've just heard the instruction, whatever it is, you know the next step you need to take right now. In just a few moments, I'm going to invite the deacons to come up here and stand up here. And here's what I want you to do. If you know the next step, as we stand and and we sing, I want you to leave where you are. I want you to come up to one of them and just say this, I know the next step. You don't have to tell them the story. You don't have to tell them what the step is. Just I, I know the next step. And they're going to pray over you because what we want to do is, is, is pray over you. We want to celebrate with you that God is drawing you into something. We want to pray over you that God will help you to obey and celebrate with that. And when you do that, what's going to happen is it's going to lock in what you've heard and, and what's going on this morning so that it'll last beyond this meeting. Now, if you're hearing God speak and you take the next step and you don't do anything about it, the chances are good that the next time you hear God speak and bring up that step, you won't do anything then either. And if you do that enough times, you will become cold and calloused spiritually and unuseful to God. Don't don't let that be the path you take. And so so I'm going to invite you to, to take that next step. Uh, those steps may be that, you know, maybe you do need to saturate yourself with God's word, God's Word. Maybe you you know what you need to do. Maybe you need to do some things to make yourself available to God more. Now, all of these things could be steps for you. And so, so I'm going to invite you to do that. Some of you, some of you have never taken steps of obedience to God. And your heart is stirring, you'll think, I need this. I need this. So here's your first step. And I'm going to stand down here too. And I'm going to ask Stephen to come stand beside me as we sing. And what you need to do is take the first step of obedience. And that's to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to be forgiven of your sin. You need to be saved from all of its consequences. And what Jesus wants to do is He wants to come into your life and begin working to remove all the barriers that prevent you right now from hearing God speak to you. And so if that's you... And don't come to these deacons. I'm going to ask that you come to Stephen or I and say, I need to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And some of you may be here and you've been looking around and you've been coming and you're not formally a part of this church family. Um, you like it. That's a good thing. But you've never really connected. And so people don't know where you stand. And if God's stirring on your heart that this is the place for me, the, then the other part of the, the invitation is this. You need to come and be part of this church formally. Formally, not formerly, formally. formally. And, and, and so you just need to come and say, I want to be a part of this church family. And we'll help you with that. Whatever is God, God is speaking to your heart this morning, there, there is a way for you to respond. Perhaps you just need prayer this morning. And it's not any one of these things. You can come to any of us that are up here this morning. You can come to any of us and we'll pray for you. You don't have to tell the whole story. God already knows. Just say, I I just need you to pray for me. And we will pray over you. It's our privilege to do that. That's what church is all about.